the OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, on August 23rd, our full-sized online Super Series drops, with guarantees as high as $1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online Super Series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to 141 online poker events with something for everyone. It's waiting for you at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 142 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group and we will get round to them eventually. Alex, how are you this uh, fine Thursday afternoon, Scotland time, morning, uh, wherever you are in America, it's morning, so good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Good, good. Um, what's been happening this week? Uh, I've been reading your newsletter and uh, you addressed a few points in that about your retirement in, uh, you know, parenthesis. And um, yeah, you address that. So, what's been happening? Have you been just uh, teaching solidly? Any working on projects, or have you actually been playing poker? Yeah, I actually I wrote a bit of a I I don't know what you would call it. Just an email saying, "Hey guys, I just looked at a few of my projects. I was just behind on a few things and." It's just not like me, and I just want to say, yeah, I bet I was playing. I was playing too much live, and it, it just kind of hit me like a truck a few days ago. Uh, I was telling everybody I, w- I was going to play for research and all that. That's not true. I wanted to do it for myself, which is fine. I just uh, I needed to know. I needed to know what the tour was like now that I've been off for eight years. I needed to know if when I was older, if it would be easier. Uh, I needed to know after that WPT final table what what was in store for me. Now, the thing I didn't understand till just now is the reason I made that WPT final table is everything was in place in my life. And what that meant was my students came first. Uh, when my students come first, everything else, it's just like any other business. The customers are first and then everything else flows from that. And what that means is it doesn't mean you bend over backwards to get them specifically everything they want are you respond to unnecessary demands to unrealistic demands what it means is you just do right by the customers you make sure you're always getting everything done on time and the last 
few weeks I've been home, I, I've been realizing uh, what I really love to do is just work with the students. There's something really profoundly enjoyable about helping people. And I, I didn't really, throughout the entirety of my marriage, I, I was always thinking, I will get back on the tour once something opens up. I w it was always with that understanding. I I always considered myself a professional poker player who was teaching for the time being. And the reason I quote-unquote retired, it was for myself to remember, you are not a professional poker player anymore. They come first. These people come first. The reason... You are doing so well when so many other poker players are struggling is because of these people. It is because these people take their good time, uh, their valuable time and money, and they support you. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I felt I lost sight of that. And I, I like letting, I just, I don't really know. I, I've read every marketing book there is, and I, I just it always leaves me feeling slimy. I, I I would rather put my best foot forward, and I think the best way to do that in the poker industry is always just to be honest, because honesty comes. Honesty is not uh, very common at, at at times in this industry. Or uh, th there's a lot of embellishment. There's a lot of this guy has this money. Oh, this guy did this. And I just want you guys to know I will always tell you exactly what it is. And uh, by the way, you can tell by the tone of my voice, I just woke up. Sorry about that. <laughs> if it's uh, better, I've been smoking cigarettes with Christian Bale in the second uh, Batman movie. But uh, uh, no, I. I uh, I I find when my students come first, everything else flows out of that. And the last few weeks, I, the tour was fun. Don't get me wrong. It was, uh, it, and I'm certainly going to be playing live a lot. One of the reasons I'm moving to New Jersey is, I mean, obviously, uh, my gorgeous girlfriend is out there, and that's before anybody calls me on it. Yes, that's a primary reason. Uh, but uh, in, uh, she's not in New Jersey; she's in New York. But I'm going to be in New Jersey because there's online poker, Montreal. If I even if I'm feeling cheap, like it's an eight-hour bus ride, which is for you know forty bucks. And that's one of the softest card rooms in the uh, in the north in North America. And you got Foxwoods a couple hours away. You got Atlantic City. Uh, you have hundred dollar flights down to Florida, which is popping. Uh, you got Pittsburgh, not that far away. And Pittsburgh's amazing, right? I just love the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, a lot of people don't like Pittsburgh. I'm not really sure why. I just love it. And. Uh, Philadelphia even has casinos now, and there's a. I'm sure there's even a few cities I'm forgetting. And then you go around the South. It's a part of the country I've never been to, really. Or I've I've been to, but I haven't really experienced. And a, but a big reason I'm going there is for poker. I love to play poker, but I realized recently 
the reason I did well in Prague is everything was in place. My students were taken care of. My family was taken care of. My finances were taken care of. Everything was taken care of. And I lost sight of that. I, I lost sight of you just can't be on the tour for the tour's sake. It's got to be the, the real road warriors. They, they live and breathe and they love this. And uh, I'm kind of a homebody. And I, I, I really like, I'm looking forward. Today I've got two lessons and I've got this podcast. And I really like creating something. I really like helping people. And uh, yeah, I, I just wanted, I sent an email that was very, uh, probably a little too hard on myself. But it was, the response from it was really positive. Which is, I think you, you guys just, if I can guess, I think you guys just appreciate a poker player telling you exactly what they're thinking. And if it's ever slightly embarrassing, uh, you know it's really likely to be true, because who would make that up? Yeah. But uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, one of my students told me, I guess it's an anecdote, although it was a real-life thing, and th this really blew my mind, which uh, a rabbi was uh, doing a service for uh, a lady who passed away who was a teacher. And he said, uh, so who, who's won uh, the Super Bowl the last 10 years? And he, people were going, what? And uh, no, nobody in the crowd could do it. Who won the World Series the last 10 years? Well, they could do a few years, but they couldn't do all of them. Uh, who's won uh, Best Actor, Best Actress, last ten years at the Oscars? Uh, you, you're getting two years back, three years back. Nobody has any idea. And then the rabbi goes, "Name the best teachers you had in your life." Oh, everybody remembers, right? Everybody. Oh, yeah, this person said this, this, and this to me. And yeah, that has value. Helping people has value. And it's just, it's really cool to be able to do this. I, I, I never say it enough. It, it, it's, uh, it's wild that you and I, in 2017, if you and I wanted to be on radio, Barry, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, 10, 10 years ago even, not even 10, no, 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 15 years ago, before podcasts, all the hoops we'd have to jump through, and then if we told them, we want to talk about cards when we got there, yeah. the, the, what? And occasionally swear, well, regularly. Yeah, we'd like to swear, yeah, and we, uh, uh, occasionally we want to go on long digressions about horror movies, and <laughs> no, you guys can't do that, get out of here, and how this Scotsman get here, get him out of here, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we it's a, it's pretty special what we get to do, but uh, yeah, I I had some other point, but it's I, it's been lost on me. But yeah, uh, very happy to be here, guys. Really happy to be answering your questions, and as always, thank you for allowing me to be myself. I guess we should. Do you have any more things we should talk about, Barry? Or should well, we just get I, right I into think, the question? I think the other point you made in that you, you can play online. I think you touched on it there. I think you can play Poker Stars in New Jersey as well, can't you? So, yes, sir. So, I, I, can, I can play on Poker Stars, and yeah. then uh, the other thing is uh, Dennis Peterson, uh, probably one of the better friends I've 
By the way, you guys need to know how cool Dennis Peterson is. People always go, why, like Dennis Peterson, uh, people always wondering why, why, why are you hanging out with him? Uh, when you go up, go up to Canada, because I, I have some friends that are really wealthy poker players and uh, whatever, you're, you're supposed to hang out with them. Uh, Dennis Peterson was the last, if I'm getting this right, he was the last white tobacco picker in, uh, in Canada. So growing up, he was on tobacco farms playing, uh, playing dominoes with, uh, uh, Jamaicans <laughs> and uh, and yeah, isn't that? Well, he traveled down to Nashville to play music. He's recorded records in Nashville, like actual records, forty fives. Right. And right. yeah, I mean, like, what an interesting dude, right? But yeah. yeah, he's a he's across the border and he's got a little office there. So uh, I I yeah, I'm gonna I I I'm going to escape into Canada whenever I want to play W Coop and Scoop. It's pretty much, I love that part of the country. I've fallen in love with that part of the country with my trips over there. But it's also interesting, the East Coast plays a lot faster, and a lot of the games are way softer. Whereas in the old days, if you wanted to be, if you wanted to make money at poker, but you still were going to play a lot of tough players, you went to Vegas uh, or Los Angeles. Los Angeles had a lot of good games for a while. Uh and if you wanted to get good at poker, you played in New York, but you didn't really expect to make money. The, a lot of the New Yorkers really knew what they were doing. And now I feel, well, I don't know about private games in New York or anything. Uh, my my dogs are moshing. They real, they're really into this. Hey, guys. <laughs> it's been a while since you've done this during the One Outer podcast. But, yeah, yeah, we've not heard from them in a while. Yeah, yeah. Now they're still alive. They're coming. They're coming with me to Jersey, most likely too, because my my friend with the farm near there, I don't think can take them, which was my my first plan. I guess I guess I'm gonna have to walk them all the time to make sure they're not holed up in an apartment too much. But uh, it's I don't know about New York actual underground clubs, but the East Coast just plays a lot faster. I love the games in Montreal. I love the games in Pittsburgh. I'm trying to think of where else I've played there recently, but everybody just plays really fast and loose. And people, God, they're such smart asses on the East Coast. Yeah. I love it. I don't know why. I just really enjoy it. Oh, that's the other thing. On the East Coast, you'll occasionally, if you want to go to Europe for the EPT, it's like three hundred, four hundred dollars sometimes uh, round trip, and six hundred is pretty normal yeah so it's cheaper in that sense by the way barry i gotta i gotta say this i uh, i showed my girl uh rounders the other day mm-hmm. and by the way i was teaching her cards and she 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 actually legit kicked my ass in one game it, it's so funny how you can teach poker to somebody and they can kill you the first time like that doesn't happen in chess right mm-hmm. She, uh, I thought she was running a bluff. She ran a really thin value bet, right? <laughs> and then I, I, I thought I picked her off. She took most of my chips. But uh, uh, anyway, we, I was saying, okay, you're liking poker. I guess we got to show you rounders. Bro, that movie is 
so ridiculous if you go back and watch it. Have you watched that movie recently? Not recently. No, I don't think so. Maybe, oh my maybe a God. few years ago I rewatched it, maybe. Well, it's, it's so weird now that I've spent a lot of time in New York. They have this apartment that would easily be $5,000 a month, and yeah. they're both law school students. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, oh, but, you know, he's making bank driving that truck for Kanesh, so yeah. it's all good, right? <laughs> no indication she works. Uh, n- no indication at all. Uh, the, the, scene, the scene where the dramatic music comes in, and he tries to explain to his girlfriend who he's neglecting, I felt alive at a poker table for the first time in my life in years or whatever it was. And I just started dying laughing because what woman on earth wants to hear that? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, okay, all the time we've spent together, totally superseded by your, uh, your, you sitting around at a poker table with a guy in a cardigan. Uh, but... Uh, there's a lot of what was the other thing all right we'll play 2550 we'll play heads up whoever wins gets it all uh matt damon opens to a thousand (laughs) 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 what what (laughs) like and then he re-raises me i don't know maybe i should fold kings heads up and i'm sitting there i don't think that's a good idea but okay (laughs) uh what what was the God? There were so many funny parts to that. Uh, what there? There's a. I, the funny thing to me is you're in. They're all in these New York clubs that are just gorgeous, right? Yeah. And, it, but yet they can't afford a dealer for thirty dollars an hour. The, yeah. Everybody's deal. So so worm can uh, so worm can deal, right? And uh, and he can screw over people. And my my favorite thing is always the way they catch him at the cops game is up. There's an ace of spades at the bottom of the deck. And I'm thinking I'm pretty sure every mechanic deals the second card is how they do it. It, You you deal the second card out and then you hold the top card for yourself. So the bottom card is going to be inconsequential most of the time. And of course, it's the ace of spades. Right. But. Uh, there was a few other really but funny But it's still parts. the best poker film. It, it, which is pretty insane to me. Yeah, yeah. Barry, I, I've been writing... A new thing I've been trying to do is just every day write 2,000 words about something. And, of course, a lot of the stuff I write is just... It, it's, it's not going to be marketable. I, I, I pocket a lot of it. I do it just for myself. But something I've been really trying to write lately is tour life, growing up on the tour, the problems I faced on the tour, what, uh, just just a lot of the things that we saw, uh, and I, I'm realizing reading it, this isn't that good, but it'd still be better than almost any poker book or film I've read <laughs> or seen, because... There's just not that much out there, I, I don't think. And I, I'm really trying to engage in that. And, uh, yeah, by the way, a couple new books are in the works, so stay tuned for that. It's uh, not not just about tour life and all that, but just uh, a few more strategy things and things of that nature. So keep your eyes peeled. Okay, we will do. Uh, okay, let's get into the questions, Dan, Alex. I know you're 
uh, got a couple of students ready and uh, chomping at the bit after this. So um, let's mm-hmm. get into them. Um, this one is from Marcus, and it's very topical, so that's why we're starting the, the questions for this week with this one. Hey, boys, love the show. It's great you put this out weekly now. I've still got lots to catch up on. My question is about John Hesp running the recent WSOP. No doubt someone like that is great for the game. How do we get out to play in that main event ourselves? Should we swing for the fences and just do it? Save the money, satellite or sell a kidney? It was on his bucket list and it's definitely on mine. Uh, I'm going to go with not sell a kidney. uh, (laughs) But, well, I think what I've always done, what... The the first live tournament I ever attended was uh, APPT Manila. I was 19 years old. It was the first time I'd ever uh, attended a live event as a pro. I was paying all my bills with card playing at the time. And I I had a bankroll of, if I remember correctly, about 30000 And I was uh, I was very worried about I, I was very worried about busting my bankroll going to all these live events. Of course, 19-year-old me sounds a lot smarter than 22-year-old me. And what I did was, at the end of every month, I made a little budget of my swing for the fences budget. And that was about 5-10% of my portfolio uh, investments, uh, funding, I, I don't know what you'd call it. So I took... 10% and one, one month that actually turned out to be not a whole lot I don't, I don't even think uh, I, I can't even remember I don't think I had a particularly good month but I felt really good gambling up with this let's say $200, $300 whatever it was and then from that I decided okay I, I got a swing for the fences and these sats and I expect to lose this money and that freed me up. And really, this is always how you should approach gambling. If you can't lose the money, it's not true entertainment. If you go to a convention and it's $300, you're not expecting to make money at the convention. You might make a business connection that in the future will pay dividends, but you're not expecting to get 1700 off the back of that 300 mm-hmm. And that's true recreation or that's a true investment and I find a lot of poker players they put the money in with this unrealistic expectation that it's going to come back 10-15 minutes later and that's just not going to happen a majority of the time so you take your budget you you feel good about it and you just have the understanding you're going to lose it Uh, then I, I think you play a lot of those little satellites up into the bigger satellites and that's that's how I got into a lot of live events and we couldn't discuss all the tips right now but you could google multi tables uh, what what was it called uh multi table satellite strategy uh in just my name Alexander Fitzgerald and if you do that, a, a poker news article will come up from a few years ago, which I thought was, I thought was really helpful, and I, I've used 
as a reference material for years uh, with many of my students. And I, I would just have fun with that recreational budget every month. And then <clears throat> you'll get into the main event eventually. And the other thing is you can, uh, you can play satellites with yourself. There's no reason you can't play a sit and go and just pretend it's a satellite to the main event with the money you're playing. Uh, it, obviously, you might run into a few more regs than if you played a satellite to the WSOP specific, mm -hmm. but it, you could also, the, the game will be available more often. I think that would be my general approach as to how to get in there. And I find if you do this and you do it every month and you remember just to play poker for fun, if you do these things, eventually uh, you'll get in. Uh, good luck to you. Yeah, what Did you watch any of the coverage at all this year, Alex? Or? Nope. No, nothing. Uh, nothing. Uh, I, did, uh, I did. I must admit, I watched the last... Uh, night before the final table I think it was and then there was a break and then I watched most of the final table I fell asleep during the heads up um, it was pretty pretty bad but um, <laughs> yeah it, it was it was entertaining although I've heard this um, oh what's the guy's name uh, Jeff Shulman is it? Nick uh, Shulman yeah. Nick Shulman, Nick Shulman yeah, yeah. Jeff Shulman's the car player guy I was Nick Shulman, um, people have been raving about his commentary on the Poker Go streams and stuff, uh, but I didn't get a chance to hear any of that. I was watching it on um, BT Sport in the UK, which was like ESPN, so it was Norman Chad, Lon, and Antonio Esfandiari, and people were really hammering Antonio Esfandiari's commentary. And I mean, I don't mean just like trolls on the internet, I mean lots of pros and big name pros and names in poker industry, what you would call, were saying, like, this is pretty poor fare. And I mean, it's a hard balance, isn't it? Because it's you've got to make it... Somebody could be tuning into that that's literally played one hand to hold them before or never even played poker before. So you can't be, like, you know, merging ranges and stuff. But then you've got this viewer that is uh, more into the game and more intelligent or well versed or whatever however you want to say it more experienced and they want like a different commentary so it's someone actually said I think it was Kev Martha that it'd be like you know in the UK on the football you can sometimes have alternate commentaries or you know DVDs and stuff it would be interesting to watch poker like that you know you could have Norman Chad and Long for the you know the average viewer or whatever and then you could have you know someone I don't know some this Nick Shulman seems to be everybody's like totally singing his praises on Twitter about what a great commentator and stuff and then some of the other pros were saying he actually gives too much away I don't want him commentating <laughs> it's like, yeah they're hmm it's just it interesting really... as a spectator sport like wh where the line is you know it's like if it's got to get bigger you've got to appeal to the masses but if you go way into it then you know it's like that's a really good point I haven't really thought of. Now, my my understanding is Mike Sexton was always really good, I felt, at making the game much more approachable. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he could explain a bit of a nuanced 
position, and he did really keep it for beginners a lot of the time. Yeah. But that, to me, was always the gold standard. There's sometimes, both times with, there's sometimes with poker players, I hear them doing commentary, and I, it, because this is my job, I can hear some of the BS, but it, it's a lot of use of big words, and uh, not saying this about Nick Shulman, I've never heard him do commentary, but both sides can be very detrimental to the game, in my opinion, which is, you have the super nerdy commentator, which is only doing it for the upper echelon of poker players, which I don't think is really intelligent because true intelligence to me is can you explain it to anybody? Could, yeah. could you, in the words of Einstein, if you can't explain it to your mother, you don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I don't know anything about Antonio's commentary. I know... It would be much better than the the one main event final table I've watched in the last 10 years uh, was the one, uh, I think his name, Martin Jacobson, uh, won. And I watched it for a bit, and it was in Spanish. So I I haven't, and that commentary was hilariously bad. Uh, But the thing that, I, I think a lot of guys are just jealous of Antonio because he's not exactly a book smart poker player. He's much more of a feel guy. So yeah, he might mess up the math stuff mm-hmm. or he, he might not be the world's best at explanations, but he still does have a feel at the poker table uh, that many of these guys lack, but that doesn't really translate to announcing, but maybe he can point out some things that are very interesting to the average viewer and I think what we end up doing is just being a little too judgmental with both sides. Yeah. And you do need a guy who can speak to both sides. Uh, I, I'm not sure who that person is. Uh, I've, it, it's just funny to me because I've always prided myself on this podcast of trying to make very complex subjects really accessible. Mm-hmm. And... The few times I have tuned into a poker program, it seems as if they're just they just throw that out the window. Just say, I'm going to confuse everybody, uh, and if you're confused, that means I'm smarter than you, and it's not my fault. Yeah. And I I, I go huh? <laughs> well, sometimes I'm listening to the explanations, and I'm I'm going that makes no sense. And you you think you I don't even know if you think it makes sense. It, it's. It's funny how that goes, but Nick Shulman's a fantastic player. I'm sure he's really good, and Antonio's a fantastic player, so you should listen to both of them, and poker players are just a little too judgmental, in my yeah. humble opinion. Well, one uh, thing I would say, looking at it, is it's amazing that, you know, I, I sort of compare that with the, the WSOP main event is the Super Bowl of poker in the poker industry, no matter what. You know, with all the high rollers and stuff, it's still the main event that you know, even on Twitter, the amount of interaction with people like Phil Galfond, uh, Daniel Negrano, P- Phil Helmuth, really responding to fans, tweeting at them and, and uh, discussing hands and what they thought, etc. You know, I think that's the poker community's strong point. It's, it's never going to be masses. You know, it is going to be always niche. You can maybe increase the yeah. size of the niche, but it's still always going to be a niche. It's never going to have 
one billion people watching the WSOP main event. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Like the Super Bowl or whatever, or how many people watch that, whatever. But I just mm. found that that's a strength for poker because it's like, if that was the Super Bowl or whatever, it's the equivalent to, you know, Tom Brady just like retweeting individual fans and responding to pretty much everyone saying, yeah, well, this play here or that play there or whatever. You know, I, I was watching right. it and going, it's quite cool. Like guys like that are relatively quiet, you know, like Phil Galfon really going into like, how this guy's played this hand and how the commentator said it or what the, what his take on it and stuff is. So, yeah, I found that really sort of uh, fun and, you know, educational, actually, for the first time in years of watching the main event. I mean, I, I can tell you the last time I watched it. I think it was way back when, maybe when Ivy made the final table or Ben Lamp. I think that was the first time, like 2009 or 10, maybe, I think, that last one I watched full through, you know? So... I just thought the future of poker, you know, except as an industry, it's like, it's that fine line. Make it appealing to the masses, but also keep your, you know, poker community or whatever, you know. But the problem with the poker community is it's filled with everything. I mean, Twitter was full of people saying, they, oh, I, how could they call that? I would have did this. And you're like, you're seeing both the whole cards. You're not playing under the lights for <laughs> so many million... I mean, people, like, that guy, what was his name that emailed in there? Was it Marcus, I think it was, yeah. It's like, be careful what you wish for. You might be on that November, and it's not the November 9 anymore, the main event final table, and your play is getting scrutinised and picked apart. No matter what you do, someone's going to be tweeting you saying, how could Mm -hmm. you do that, and you should do this, and, you know, and, and someone said a funny thing, they were like, I would respond to every tweet, uh, if I won the 8 million from my uh, beach house in Hawaii, you know, just <laughs> one day at a time or something like that, you know, but yeah, I just I found it interesting and um, that was it, so uh, I'll need to check out this Nick Shulman next time he's commentating because I didn't see any of his commentary I hear any of his commentary rather um, and it, it sounded, lots of people were raving about it mm-hmm. and the other thing to learn about life is uh no matter what you do, people have something to say, yeah. is something I've noticed. If you play poker, if you announce, essentially if you go out there, this, this is going to get into some uh, deeper stuff here, but I, I've been reading a little bit about human, I guess it'd be biology, and what they've done with what they've done recently is they've proven that humans really like to stay in one place and they like to eat. These are the things they like to do. And the reason for that is if you were eating and you didn't have to travel to do so, you were really likely to live uh, when the human civilization was coming up. Now, that's fine. It just means that recently... Uh, I was made aware of a documentary of about fasting. This was interesting. Uh, if you do intermittent fasting, people actually have fixations on food, and it's really tough for them. Whereas if you just out-and-out fast, you don't lose as much muscle mass, and the certain enzyme that makes you hungry, the certain enzyme that makes you hungry actually dies down in its efficacy. So what ends up happening is you just burn your fat stores. And this made perfect sense to me when I thought about it. It's, oh, that's why we all eat so much. 
is we're storing up fat for when the hunt is not doing so well, and then we can just eat it. And there was some story of some guy who went on some bizarre long fast where he just drank water and lost 100 pounds and was just fine at the end of it. So apparently your body is capable of doing that. And what this means is human beings are just biologically wired to not want to not want to move, not want to try things, and to eat. So if you, if, you, uh, uh, if you do anything outside of that, a lot of people are going to take it as judgment upon them uh, because everybody's universe is constructed mainly of them what, because that's the only human being they can personally experience. And they're going to take it... Uh, individually as some form of judgment yeah. and they're yeah. going to criticize you and the, the only way you get used to that you never get used to that a anybody who works in radio will tell you uh, we get criticized every day I, I, I really don't like it. it it gets old but one of the ways you get used to that is you just repeatedly expose yourself to it I, I get so many emails about just awful things, people saying things. I, it's funny, I, I'm thinking, I wouldn't say this to my best friend if he was slipping, and this guy doesn't even know me, <laughs> and uh, he's sending me this. And anywho, uh, the, there was one other thing that I wanted to say in regards to that. Oh, the other thing that's always really helped me to remember, this is slightly in the same topic, you're supposed to be dissatisfied because if you think of 20 original Homo sapiens eating ants from an anthill for food, which one's going to be the one to grab a blade of grass and make the first tool and stick it down the anthill and get 20 of those ants? It's going to be the most dissatisfied Homo sapien. So biologically, you are wired to be dissatisfied. That is how you keep evolving. So if you're wired to sit around, eat too much, and be dissatisfied, you should not be surprised when you sit around, eat too much, and are dissatisfied. And if you try anything beyond that, people are going to criticize you. That's just how it is. And uh, so... So we should do just tr try nothing. <laughs> yeah, try nothing, give up, watch horror movies. God, man, try nothing's pretty nice, though, last... I did something really fun yesterday. Have you ever heard of this genre, synthwave? Synthwave, no. It's all these guys making 80s music, but now? Right. Yeah, I was playing Bioshock. It's this science fiction first-person shooter, and I had synthwave music on. I was doing that. Giving up is amazing. Yeah. At the end of the day, everybody should give up at the end of the day. Just crap out and do something completely worthless. I Watch CFL <laughs> football. Yeah, yeah. Barry, Barry's... Barry's been training for this his whole life. What did you do that was worthless recently? Uh, I don't know. Last week's podcast? <laughs> horror. horror. But, uh, have you watched any horror movies lately, by the way? Um, what did I watch recently that was... You know what I watched recently? Escape from New York, John Carpenter. Uh, I, I love John Carpenter movies. How was it? I'm not, I, I'm, I've, I've, never, I've never seen kidding. it. I've never seen it. I don't think it, it, I've ever seen it. To be perfectly honest, yeah. was it good? Kurt Russell. Well, yeah, it was good. But I think it's one of these films that if I'd watched as a kid, rewatching it would have been even better. But because it, 
for some reason, it totally passed me by. I never watched it um, when it came out. It came out in like 19... I think it was 81 or something. I mean, I was born in 83, but... You know, I've watched pretty much every other 80s action film, and especially John Carpenter stuff. So uh, I put it on just the other night and watched it, and yeah, it was good, it was fun. Uh, New York's Manhattan's been turned into a prison, and uh, the president crash lands over it or whatever, and he gets abducted. <laughs> I mean, th- th- that's, all, that's all you need to know about what I've done with my time. Um, so uh, yeah, let, let's, uh, let's not give up and get into the next question. Okay. Um, all right. This one is. Let's do. Yeah, let's do Mikey's email. Uh, Alex forwarded this one on to me. Someone sent it. Um. So here we are. I'll just read it verbatim. Hey, what's up, Alex? Long time podcast listener. First time email inner. I've been playing poker for a while now. I recently decided to go back to basics and try and reassess my game from the bottom up. Recently, I've been experimenting with ranges and was wondering what kind of tools you recommend for tackling the subject of ranges. What's the best approach to studying, constructing, and developing ranges? Have you ever heard of rangeversusrange.com? It is, as the URL suggests, a website that's free to join. You can enter heads-up games or various scenarios and compete versus another player. Uh, He then goes on to further describe that tool. And then he said, it's hard to know if I'm doing the right thing, taking the right line, balancing, exploiting, or just completely donking around like a fish. If you find the time, I'd hugely appreciate any advice you can give. Big fan of everything you do. Hopefully I can save up some money and maybe get some coaching or buy all the webinars. Keep fighting the good fight. All the best, Mikey McLaughlin. Hey, thank you for your question, uh, Mr. McLaughlin. I, I'm a little old school when it comes to this, where... Most of the times when I'm thinking of a guy's range, I just put it in Flopzilla, and our Cardrunner ZV is, it was essentially Flopzilla if you added uh, just a way to do the math, and that's really been my favorite approach for, God, four years now, something like that. Uh, have dabbled a bit in, uh, I don't know what you call it, Pio Solver, Pio Solver. I've heard both. Uh, but well, and by dabble a bit, I call my buddies who are really good at that. And uh, this is why interpersonal relationships are so important. Human beings are supercomputers that are stronger than anything that IBM could put together. So what I essentially do is cheat off of everybody's paper, yeah. which is I call my buddies that work on those things. And I go, what have you found out? And they go, well, and I don't know why, but they always tell me. They don't go, why don't you dabble with it for 20 hours? But no, I don't feel like doing that. Uh, po- I, I, uh, range versus range, I haven't heard of. Uh, I'll probably have to check out here uh, pretty soon. Most of what I do, I find I'm, I'm writing, I've been writing something recently I don't want to say the title because I set a title for a potential project in one post and then, sure enough, I, it got delayed and then I saw somebody else uh, post uh, use that title. But it focuses on thinking like a professional poker player. And what I've found is something that's been really interesting to me. Re- <clears throat> Sorry, guys, I'm... Uh, I don't know. 
uh, cat got my tongue. But uh, there, something that's really interesting to me is not a lot of people come from academia and go into poker and do that well. Uh, you don't hear at the final table, and there's three psychologists because they just understand the other guys so well. And that's not to say an academic background is not going to help you in poker. Uh, both Doyle Brunson and Shippery's had their college degrees. I, I think Phil Hellmuth had his college degree. Uh, I, I really wish I got to get a college degree, and if you're in school, you should stay in school. But one, I was trying to think of why is that, because I noticed European academics would do fairly well in poker. And what I kind of started seeing is the Europeans had a big eye for practicality. Yeah, 20 thoughts are really relevant here, but which one is the most important? This is my, this is my great problem with many facets of poker literature, many, uh, not facets, uh, many, many, just, there, I read a poker book recently, a very good player, just going over hands, and the guy's bringing up every little detail you can imagine. And I'm thinking, this is as if I go, I'm going to teach you how to cook. Okay, what's step one? Well, you're going to take this little varnish here. Uh, garnish? Uh, sorry, yeah, varnish. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, you're going to take this little lime and... Uh, uh, you're going to take this little lime and you're going to curl it just so and put it at the edge of the, uh, of the pie and it's going to drift off just really nicely and have the butter looking succulent. The, the real first step is turn the oven on. The real, the real thing you need to get in is the basic steps. And one of the things I find really amazing is... How many times in my lessons I have these very intelligent people, professional poker players, and they focus on your thoughts have a rank. They have a quality. You will have profound thoughts that change your life. You will have thoughts that mean absolutely nothing. The mind is a reflexive muscle. It, it, it does involuntary thoughts many times that have nothing to do with anything. It spits out words that mean nothing. Uh, there's a great book about this called The Happiness Trap, if you'd ever like to look into it. And you have to rank the quality of your thoughts, and this is very pertinent in poker. So I had a guy the other day, he had Ace-8. Uh, another gentleman was a wild player, and he bet... Three times on an ace, ace, jack, two, five board. And I said, okay, tell me what you're thinking on the river. And I had a specific thing I wanted him to say. And he said, well, he's such a wild player and he's got trip aces. I figure I have to call this thought on the quality scale is maybe a five. It's a, it's a good starting point. But yeah, getting into range versus range... The correct question is, what hand does he bet here that you beat? Mm -hmm. And the answer was, uh, there, w there was only a few combos. It was, he probably was not trip. I asked him that question. He goes, well, he's probably not triple barrel bluffing on a rainbow board with two aces up top. 
I said, okay, so you beat some other aces. And then he goes, well, I don't even know if he bets some of the weaker aces. Then I went, does he bet the bigger aces? Oh, yeah, for sure. He bets the bigger aces. This is, this is range versus range, and these are very quality thoughts. And you can see it stems from a very basic question, but the second question isn't as normal for many people, which is when you're calling, what do I beat? Second question, what percentage of his range are those hands? So is it 20%, 30%? And then you look at the pod odds and you decide whether it was a call or not. Uh, in this particular case, I think it was something akin to 18% of the guy's hands the guy beat, and he was calling a half pot size bet, which means you, you need to be right about 25% of the time. You have to have about that kind of equity. And he was obviously not, not a call. But a lot of the hand ranges I do are by hand. And there was this great poster in high school wrestling uh, before I found out the varsity kid was never, I was never going to beat him. Why do people keep calling today? Hold on a second. I don't know who that was, but okay. I've gotten like five random calls this morning. So there's a guy named Shane in Bullhead City who used to have my number, and apparently Shane had some fraudulent charges on his account this morning. And Shane would be privy to this information if he had four months ago changed his phone number on everything, which he hasn't done. I get to know when Shane orders something on Amazon. I get to talk to all of his buddies. I get to hear a lot of his orders for drywall. And I, this morning I heard about fraudulent charges. Any, anyhow, okay, so we were talking about ranges. Oh, but, but there was this poster in my wrestling class before I didn't stop doing that. And uh, it said it's not the hours you put in, it's what you put in the hours. And that always really stuck with me. And what I find is many guys could become very, very good professional poker players, but they do not demand that much of themselves when they're playing. They very much play on autopilot. They're on autopilot often. And one of the things you can do is you look at, you look at ranges, but you also always ask yourself, what's one other move? Uh, I think this was an Andrew Brokos thing. What's one other move I could consider here, and how would that affect the ranges? And this will allow your creativity to come up. So there was one example. The board was queen 7-7 seven, seven, uh, that I was showing. Super loose player bets. Another guy raises. And I have my student behind both of them with pocket fives. Now, he would fold no, always, normally, but I always say... You know, think of one other move. Well, the only other move you can think of is raising. If you think about it there, if two loose players are going at it, there's a lot of times, and this gentleman happened to be uh, a little older, so maybe he'd look a little nittier. If these two young guns are just trying to kill each other every hand, and then you come in with lo what very much looks like, oh, excuse me, I messed up the board, queen, queen, two, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, if you come in there, your range looks a lot like a queen, whereas if you think about their hands, there's a lot of two-card combinations that miss there. 
every ace jack is 12 combos every ace 10 is 12 combos if the guy's raising actually super aggressive players are usually a little bit too trappy so i don't know how many queens he's raising and you ask what percentage of his hands are each one this will help you so you just got to start asking yourself these basic questions in the hands and i i feel like everybody knows how to do this a lot of times with poker players, we get really into what's the newest tool and what's the newest gadget and what's the newest strategy that's going to win. You know what to do. You know how this works. It's just not that fun a lot of the time. It's not, uh, there's many days I wake up and I don't feel like studying, discussing poker for four or five hours. Are that's and that's minimum. That's before I go on to my other work. Uh, but every day I do it, and every day I put myself in different situations, and I ask myself the same qu- questions. If I'm calling here, I call this amount because I have to be right this percentage of the time because I think I beat this, and that is that percentage of his range. I am betting X amount to win Y, which needs to win- work this percentage of the time because I believe these hands will fold if I'm bluffing or I'm betting this for value because I believe these hands are going to uh, call and I beat them. Just constantly thinking about that stuff, playing less tables, taking notes on hands. And when you, when you get messed up on hand, that's actually fine. You just need to make the time later in the week uh, to take your marked hand and to dissect it with card runners EV with flopzilla with something along those lines. I, I hope this has been uh, helpful. Mr. McLaughlin. Uh, good luck to you. Okay. And uh, that is all we got time for this week. Alex does have his first love, a student to get to. So, um, <laughs> uh, Alex, how can people get in touch with you if they want uh, coaching, webinars, your products, newsletter, etc.? What can people do? Uh, go ahead and write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com. Uh, please be advised due to a high volume of emails, it does take up to a week to get responded to. Uh, you can also tweet me at the assassinato. Uh, I tend to respond to that much quicker because it's uh, 140 characters. So if you have a very quick question, go ahead and write there. Uh, follow me on YouTube at Assassinato Coaching. That's about to get fired up again. Uh, sign up for my newsletter on PokerHeadRush.com. We uh, yesterday I just sent out two new articles and a free one-hour podcast. Although you probably already knew about that uh, if you're listening to us here, uh, but. There's a lot of free content that goes out all over the internet, and I just in that newsletter I just make sure I corral all of that for you guys, and it's just your one-stop shop for free uh, po- poker coaching. And of course, I also put my deals in there too. So if you want to get a deal on coaching and whatnot, you should sign up for that. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. And keep your questions coming in for Alex on this show, questions at oneouter.com, and we will get them read out on a future episode. Alex, thanks for taking the time with us today. Um, We will see you, not next week, um, I'm on holiday, so we're going to run the Devilfish podcast that I interviewed Devilfish a good few years ago. Uh, Just sort of like, as there's not going to be a show with me and Alex, and he got in 
inducted to the Hall of Fame uh, this week, so thought that'd be a nice little touch. So that one will be going up again next week. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all the week after. Cheers. Cheers. The OSS Cubed gets underway on Sunday, August 13th, and it's bringing to the table a whopping $6.7 million in guarantees over four weeks. It all starts with Moss beginning August 13th, with prize pools hitting the $250,000 guaranteed mark. Then, on August 23rd, our full-sized online Super Series drops, with guarantees as high as $1 million. Then stack your chips in the bigger online Super Series beginning September 6th. It all adds up to $141 online poker events with something for everyone. It's waiting for you at America's Card Room.